The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. This morning, we are in Mark chapter 13, looking at verses 24 through 31. I'm in a series of messages entitled, The End. And This morning, we're going to look at these verses before us, and I want to speak on the subject of the end is near, now what? The end is near, now what? It's interesting that many people, when they approach Jesus' teaching on the end of times, get so caught up in end times figures and timelines that they lose sight of the fact that our Lord's primary concern was our readiness and our response to these events. In fact, we're going to see next week that Jesus uses the same Greek verbiage over and over again in chapter 3 in which he encourages us to be ready, to stay awake, to be on the lookout. And Jesus' concern as he speaks about the end of times is that we have the right frame of mind, that we are spiritually prepared. Here in verse 24, he transitions his teaching to encourage his disciples to be prepared for the end of all things. The end is near. Now what, disciples? Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to be prepared. He says in verse 24, look in your Bible, but in those days after that tribulation, the word here is, the word here, but, is an important word, a significant word. It's a conjugation in the English language, but it transitions from Jesus talk about things that would occur in the first century. If you remember previously in the series of messages, we've talked about how Jesus spoke of the future as if it was history. He foretold of the way in which Titus would lay siege on Jerusalem in A.D. 70. He talked about many of the horrific events that would take place with that event. The historian Josephus tells us about those events. He spoke of them after they occurred, but Jesus spoke of them before they occurred. And Jesus, after talking about those events here, says, but, that word marks a transition. We, we know that, that the word but marks a transition. Have you ever had somebody say something like this to you? Now, you're a really nice person, I love you, and I believe you have the best of intentions, but, oh, what's coming next? Good grief. Heard a preacher talk about one time as how preachers can receive encouragement sometimes. Preacher, that was a great sermon, but, uh-oh, what's coming? Let's get ready. Here Jesus throws in that important word of transition. He's moving from primarily talking about first century things to talk about end of the world type of things. He wanted his disciples to be prepared. Not only did he want James, Peter, John, and Andrew to be prepared. Listen, Christian, this morning, Jesus wanted you to be prepared as well. He wanted you in this chaotic world in which we live in to have spiritual wits to face all that's going on. He wanted you to be prepared. 
So he's given you this morning, 2 Timothy 3.16, Holy Spirit-inspired truth for your mind, for your heart, for your soul, right here, 21st century America. The Bible is speaking, and God is saying, the end is near. Now what? I want you to be prepared. You've heard of these people called preppers, haven't you? It's a phenomenon in 21st century society. I was at Ingalls not long ago, and I thought I'd go to the magazine section and look at magazines. Laura was shopping. They didn't have the magazine I was looking for. So many magazines nowadays are out of print. You can't get some of the good old basic staple magazines you used to get, but it seems like they got all these weird and strange magazines covering things you'd ne- Who in the world is buying this magazine? So they had a magazine for preppers. How to get ready for the end of the world. How to stockpile stuff. How to build your fallout shelter. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not necessarily against anybody doing that. I remember I lived in Barnesville, Georgia when Y2K was coming. I mean, I didn't stock up and prepare, but I made sure I had one friend who was stocked up and prepared, all right? (laughs) Going to Eddie's house. I mean, he's got AR-15s and green beans to last for 30 years. So we know there's this phenomenon with preppers. There's even TV shows for it. Hear this. Jesus tells us here we need to be prepared. He wants you to be spiritually and emotionally and theologically ready for the end. We're living in this great period of time called the last days. And mature, strong disciples are ones who are prepared. How can we be prepared? I believe Jesus gives us four actions to take. Number one, you see this truth, I see this truth. Don't, one, first of all, don't lose sight of the awesomeness of Jesus. How can I be prepared for the end of time? How should I live in this segment of time called the church age or the last days? Number one, disciple, don't lose sight of the awesomeness of Jesus. Look at how Jesus is depicted here as being awesome in glory. Verse 24, Jesus says, after that tribulation, that is A.D. 70, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Notice that Jesus speaks of all of these great signs that will accompany the last days. He speaks of the sun being darkened, that sun that provides life through the way in which it gives a process of photosynthesis and feeds the animal kingdom and humans as well the moon will not shed its light as a result of the sun not having light and the stars will be falling from the sky and the powers and the heavens will be shaken those powers and the heavens in accordance with Ephesians 6:12 are those rulers in heavens demonic and angelic beings the lord here is speaking of cataclysmic things happening at the end of the age Now, we could this morning take Jesus' words in a super literal fashion and try to talk about what each one means, but I would propose to you here that Jesus is simply using 
prophetic language from the Old Testament to say things are going to get really, really bad at the end of time. You see, the same verbiage, the same language is used in the Old Testament to speak of things happening in different periods of time. Ezekiel 32, 7, Joel 2, 2, Joel 2, 10, Amos 8, 9. So Jesus uses this word in a metaphorical, Hebraic way to speak of the fact that At the end of time, there will be cataclysmic things that will happen on planet earth. Things that seem to make the earth shake and tremble. Things that seem to upend the creative order. The Lord speaks of such things happening in order to tell us at the end of time, Entire creative order and humanity itself will seem to be falling apart. There will be earth-altering events. And then the Lord, in the midst of all of that, in verse 26 says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power. And Jesus here speaks of an event we could call, we should call, the second coming of Christ. You see, Christ had a first advent where he came as a lowly babe in Bethlehem. But according to the Bible, he is coming again. And Jesus here uses this title, Son of Man. Son of Man, it is one drawn from Hebrew prophecy, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. It is an official title for the Messiah that promised deliverer, that anointed one, that hope of Israel. And Jesus here, as he did in Mark chapter 2, verse 10, uses this royal, divine title of himself. And he promises that one day in the midst of all of the calamities on planet earth in association with end times events, Jesus will return. He will come again. He'll bring all things to an end. He will smite the nations. Every earthly king, every earthly ruler will bow before him. And he will erect and establish a righteous reign upon the earth. Though he came once as a babe in Bethlehem, Jesus is coming again as a conquering king. Though he came once to dwell among sinful men and for sinful men, he is coming again to fill the earth with his righteousness. Though he stepped into the timeline of human history once and dwelt amongst all the opinions and the conceit and the deceit of humankind, he will come again and establish truth forever. The Bible here depicts him as coming in the clouds A sign of glory, a sign, the clouds in the Hebrew mind were a picture of the coming of God himself. Jesus here is coming in the clouds with great power. That means he has all authority. There will be no power above his power. The greatest human powers will submit and bow the knee to Jesus when he returns. Philippians 2, 5 through 10. He will come with all glory 
radiance and splendor. Every eye will see him. Romans 1, 7. He will come, excuse me, Revelation 1, 7. Every eye will see him. And Revelation 19, 11 through 15. He will come and he will conquer the nations. And this is Jesus. This is our Lord. This is our God. A name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, the first and the last. Jesus is the word that was with God and was God at the beginning of time. And he is coming again and every eye will see him and he will rule and reign forever. This is our Jesus And in light of end time events, we should remember who he is. We should remember he has all power. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's righteous. He's perfect. Human history exists for his glory. And may we keep our eyes on him. May we not lose sight of the awesomeness of Jesus. May we not get so caught up in current affairs that we forget He ruleth with his omnipotence forever. May we not get our trust on human rulers that we forget Jesus is the ultimate ruler, King of kings and Lord of lords. I had a friend over yesterday. He dropped by the house and he was talking to my boys. And this friend of mine is a sports lover. And he was asking the boys, what's your favorite sport to play? And so they both gave an answer, baseball. What's your favorite sport to watch? And one of them said, football. I wasn't surprised there. The second one said, hockey. I was a little bit surprised. We watch a little bit of hockey at the house, but we don't watch a lot. The friend was surprised too. He said, why hockey? And he said, well, it's the only sport where they allow fights. (laughs) Says the kid with a broken arm. thought, well, that's a, that's a good enough reason, I guess. We've been to a minor league hockey game before, and when we went to a minor league hockey game, it was a little bit difficult. When you go to any hockey game, it can be difficult. I, I like hockey, but going to a hockey game in person, especially when you got the cheap seats, can be hard to follow. Why? You've got that little puck this big moving very quickly across the ice. It's hard to follow. As a dad, it's especially hard to follow. Because if they're not asking you where the puck is, they're asking you when do we get more stuff from the concession stand. It can be hard to follow. Guess what? In this world in which we live in, with all of the opinions that are out there, with all of the voices we hear, with all of the problems, with all of the people jockeying for power and positions, It can be hard to keep your eyes on Jesus. But let's remember from this text, as Jesus spoke to his disciples, he wanted them to remember, we're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and glory. Believer, no matter what happens in 21st century society, keep your eyes on Jesus. And remember, he has all power. He is the only one of whom we can say, awesome, Keep your eyes 
the awesomeness of Jesus. Number two this morning, I'd encourage you, the words of Jesus, stay hopeful when you face life's problems. Verse number 27, Jesus continued. He said, when Jesus returns, when the Son of Man returns, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds. Now, there's a lot of mystery there, a lot of things I don't understand. I can remember growing up, there was this movie that was popular with Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze, no relation. Patrick Swayze, it was called Ghost. Just joking there. That was my joke in college, Patrick. You know, like Patrick Swayze. So now that I have no hair, it doesn't work real well, all right? But I remember seeing this, this movie, and in this movie, when a bad guy died, that demons came and carried him away. Little shadows came and grabbed him. How spooky, how scary. Just happened to think about that when I read this. The Bible, Jesus says that Jesus will send out angels to gather his people so we have nothing to, be, nothing to fear, these servants who serve in the presence of God night and day, somehow, mysteriously, beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, are going to be used to gather the people of God. The word here is a word used of a great harvest. I was riding my bike recently near Sam Smith Park, and I saw the cotton fields, white and gleaming with cotton. I remembered stories of my grandfather and stories of older people in Oklahoma that would tell me about their days picking cotton, a harvest, gathering it. Here the Lord gives us this great concept, though we live in fields marked by sin and confusion and depravity and oppression and injustice and war and bickering and fighting and lying, guess what? The Heavenly Father is one day returning and He's going to send angels out into the harvest fields of humanity and he's going to pluck and gather all those who have been washed in the blood of the lamb and as he promised in john 14 1 through 3 he's gone away but he's coming again believer to gather you unto himself oh let your heart be filled with hope don't let it be overcome with fear don't let your mind be controlled by the spirit of this age don't let your blood pressure go up with all of the bickering of this age. Have your heart firmly set on the hope of Christ. Know that you live for another king and another kingdom, and one day he will restore and renew all things. We have this thing called hope. Hope. I was having lunch several years ago with an army chaplain, Lieutenant Colonel, we were having lunch, he was a di of a different denomination, and we were of a different persuasion in many ways doctrinally, but as we, as we talked, he said, you know, Patrick, you've talked a lot about faith and love. He said, I think there's a forgotten virtue that you Baptists often don't talk about. I said, what is that? He said, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. He said, it's not just Baptist. He said, I feel like in American Christianity, many of us have forgotten this great virtue. Hope has fallen on hard times. It's the lost Christian virtue. And indeed, I believe that's true. 
We talk a lot about faith and love because we see those as being things that are important for the here and now, but we forget many times about hope. Why do we forget about hope? Is it not indicative of the fact that we live too much for the here and now and not enough for the hereafter? Laura and I, when I was on staff at Roswell Street Baptist Church, I like to preach. Have you all figured that out yet? And I taught the college students there with my ministry on Sunday mornings, but I wanted more opportunities to preach, so I took a little side gig preaching at an assisted living home up on Mars Hill Road. We would leave and go eat lunch on Sundays, and I'd go up there and preach, and Laura would help lead the singing. And I would preach like I was Billy Graham in the L.A. Coliseum to a bunch of folks who could hardly stay awake because of their medication. But I remember we preach there and Laura would take a song request and a lady named Margie Mangan would help lead the singing and they would take song requests and it never failed. Just about every week you'd get a request for that old song, I've Got a Mansion Over the Hilltop. We sang that so much I was about sick of having a mansion over the hilltop. And I finally kind of jokingly said something just as I did to you, to Margie about that. And she said, well, you know, Patrick, maybe it's good. These folks have got their eyes fixed on eternity. And maybe we could learn a lesson. I got to doing some thinking about that, and I realized that our church, that, and I'm not complaining about any music minister or any music program, but I, I got to thinking in our churches, we don't sing much about heaven anymore. A lot of our new songs are focused. It's not bad, but focused on the here and now. And it might be, it might be a lesson for us in all that, that we have forgotten this idea of hope it's the lost christian virtue but notice that jesus here reminds his believers intentionally listen things are going to get bad there will be tribulation but i'm going to gather my people unto myself the lord gives us a great lesson we need to work to stay hopeful when we face life's problems when you see sin increasing and perversion increasing in American society, just take a spiritual time out, pray for your nation, then give thanks to God. There will be a day in which righteousness will run like a river on planet earth again. When you see all the confusion and the lies by religious leaders and political leaders, Take a time out and pray, but also give thanks to God and say, even so, come Lord Jesus and establish that kingdom in which truth will rule and reign forever. Oh, I believe too many believers put too much hope in this world. Learn as a believer to have your hope in the return of Christ. We see this great gathering that teaches us that we can stay hopeful when we face life's problems i want you to see number three this morning a great truth from our text jesus encourages us as believers to also be number three discerning be discerning word discerning speaks of the ability to judge well we see in our text that jesus wants us as disciples to be able to judge things well as the end gets closer and closer. Look at verse number 28, what Jesus says. 
He says, learn the lesson from the fig tree. What are you talking about, the fig tree? Well, do you remember back in chapter 11, Jesus cursed a, a fig tree, and he had an object lesson built in with that fig tree. And now he uses the fig tree again as an object lesson to teach a secondary lesson. And here, the second lesson is focused on our ability to discern the signs of the times and to be ready for the return of Christ. Learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In ancient Canaan, the land was mostly filled with evergreen trees or olive trees. The only tree that could really be used to detect the changing of the seasons was the fig tree. Now, I recently planted a fig tree in my backyard. Does anybody have a fig tree at their house? All right, I recently planted one. I'm discerning. I can see the signs of the times. I don't think it's going to make it, y'all. I think it's going to die. But in Jesus' day, one would usually use the fig tree to detect or to determine when summer was coming. We, we saw earlier in Mark's gospel that Jesus saw little leaves on the fig tree around the time of Passover. It was spring, and those little sprouts would tell soon there'd be a fruit. Soon summer was coming. We kind of get the picture living in northwest Georgia, don't we? We can drive down the road, see the yellow, the red, the orange leaves, and know what season are we in? Fall. Now, the storm this past week just about blew all those leaves off the trees, so we lost our weather system, y'all. Jesus here is using the fig tree to teach an important spiritual lesson. Look at the point of the lesson, verse 29. He says, in the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the end is near, that he is near at the door. Jesus wanted his disciples to be able to discern the signs of the time. Jesus wanted his disciples to know a degree of end time truth and to be able to apply principles to their spiritual journey. Now, I don't think Jesus said, boy, you've got to know every last event in the end times and the exact sequence in which they will occur and who all of the end time figures are and their exact identity and what nation they'll come through it from and how all things will pan out. Jesus wasn't encouraging us to build some big chart and to have dates and people arranged in, in a precise schismatic. Jesus instead here was saying, hey, I'm giving you big events that will happen at the end of time. I'm encouraging you to be spiritually vigilant. Be on guard. See, friends, we know according to the Bible, there will be some big events that we can really hang our hat on at the end of time. Paul tells us that the end will not come unless there's a great falling away from the faith first. So know this, according to the Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 13, as the last days roll on, evil men, false teachers and seducers will grow worse. And so we as believers need to be on guard. We need to stick to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We need to make sure that our minds and our families aren't 
pulled aside with strange Christianity and strange doctrines. As we see this new type of Christianity coming on the scene in America, this new type of Christianity that that rarely mentions the gospel and the cross, as we see this life enhancement and prosperity gospel infiltrate even into our Baptist churches, we need to stand on guard for the faith. We know there will be an apostasy. We know also there will be great tribulation. There will be struggles and trials. Now I could try to convince you that the tribulation will happen at a certain time and believers will be evacuated at a certain time or they'll be here or they won't be here. I'll just say this to you this morning. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. And be aware, as Jesus has told us in our text, tough times will get tougher. You've got to be careful that you don't have kind of a genie in the lamp approach to Jesus and think that it's the end game of Christianity for you to have an easy life. You need to be discerning, pay attention to the leaves as they change And understand things will get tough. As things get tough, what do we do? We cling to Jesus like never before. We keep believing his word. Got to be discerning. Jesus warns us. The end is near. Now what? Let me give you one last truth. Jesus here encourages us lastly to cling to his word. Be discerning. Then he teaches his disciples to cling to his word. How does he do that? We see in verse number 30, as he continues his teaching, he says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Now there's a lot of controversy about this verse. You may have a different opinion or interpretation than mine. That's fine. This old guy used to say at my church when I was in Cedartown, he said, we don't charge anything extra for that around here. You can be wrong. We let you get away with that for free. All right? Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. I really believe Jesus here when he says this generation is referring to his disciples. Verses 24 through 27 contain teaching concerning the future. Jesus here in verses 28 through 31 gives practical application for all generations. But in speaking of this generation, I believe he's speaking to his disciples because the word this generation, every time it's used in the gospel of Mark is used in reference to people living at the time of Jesus. Why is this interpretation important? Jesus here is proving Jesus here is demonstrating that his prophecy would be fulfilled that people living during his days would see the very things happen of which he had prophesied in regard to A.D. 70, the destruction of the temple. Go back to Mark chapter 13, verse number 2. Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another of these great buildings. In verse number 4, the disciples asked, when will these things happen? So in verses 5 through 23, Jesus described how those things would happen. I've already preached on that, shared that with you. Verse 24 through 27, Jesus speaks of his second return. Then he pauses here at the end of the sermon to draw the net 
to make a conclusion, to make application. He tells his disciples in the midst of that, hey, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What things? The things of verses 5 through 23. The things, verse 4, that the disciples had asked about when they said, what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So Jesus is telling his disciples, you'll see a lot of these things fulfilled that I've spoken of in this Olivet Discourse, this sermon. And the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy proved that Jesus was a true prophet. The fact that now we can look back on history and see that Jesus' words were fulfilled proves that Jesus spoke truth, that Jesus was a son of God. And then Jesus said this great statement in verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So he's saying, boys, your own generation, though many of them would end up being martyred and not seeing it, Your generation will see many of these things happen. Not all of them. Christ didn't return in their generation. But your generation will see these things related to the abomination of desolation, A.D. 7. Your generation will see these things happen. And then he makes this great statement concerning his word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now Jesus here links the creative order, the heavens and the earth, with his word. Interesting to think about these two concepts together, is it not? The heavens and the earth, that is the globe and the atmosphere around our earth, came into being. How? Genesis 1-3, by the word of God, then God said. Think about the creative order and human history together. They go together, do they not? Human history began with the Word of God, but does not the Bible in Revelation 19, 11 through 15 teach us that human history will end with the Word of God? John said, and behold, I saw a white horse, and he who rode upon that horse had a name faithful and true. And John tells us, out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword for judging the nations. Does that mean that Jesus will literally come back as this grotesque individual with a sword coming out of his mouth, smiting the nations? I don't think so. I think it's a metaphor to say that just as at the beginning of time, the Lord spoke and the creative order came into being, at the end of time, he will return and he will merely have to speak. And human history will come to an end. Jesus, the word of God, Creation had its beginning with the spoken word, and it will end with the spoken word as well. The Bible here reminds us that the word of God, the word of Jesus, Jesus who is the word of God, John 1.1, is more enduring than creation itself. The word of God, the Bible, the book you hold in your hand is more enduring than than the earth upon which you stand. So you, as a believer, can trust it. You, as a believer, should commit your life unto it. You, as a believer, should make it a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. 
Oh, remember what the Bible says about the Bible. Psalm 119, 89, we read, Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. And Jesus said, Matthew 5, 18, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. According to our Lord, His Word is more enduring than creation itself. As a result, we as believers should trust it, stay devoted to it, and cling to it. Oh, don't get unnecessarily tore up when you see all the things going on in this world. Yes, have a holy concern and zeal, but know this, All these things are temporal. And the word of the Lord our God abideth forever. And blessed is the person who takes his or her refuge in the Lord and in his word. Oh, as you see all the false philosophies and all of the ungodly injustices and all the perverted paradigms in 21st century American society, yes, be grieved in your spirit. But also, like never before, cling to the Word of God and His truth. Let it be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Make sure you're daily reading it, studying it, seeking to understand it. I'll do what I'm aiming to do. Memorize it and put it in your mind so that when troubles and trials and testings come your way, you can quickly recall God's truth. Oh, cherish it. Put your feet on the firm rock of Christ. And as we hear so many opinions and people who are trying to draw us away from the faith and trying to convince us that we're fuddy-duddies and that this book is worn out, stand stronger like ever before on the blessed book and the truth of Christ. Let it be an anchor for your soul, knowing this. The world may shift. The world may change. The sun may stop giving its life light. And the earth may be destroyed and the atmosphere may be done away with. But the word of God that's dwelt, Proverbs 8, since eternity past will still remain. So stand strong on his truth. Be a people of the book. Say to the Lord, I've cherished your words more than my necessary food. Happy is he who takes delight in the word of God. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.